This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the 343 Podcast. This episode is the first of many that will be reviewing and critiquing the performances of the U.S. men's and U.S. youth national teams. In this first episode, Joey Cassio joins me to discuss the U.S. U-17's loss to Senegal in the first group stage game of the 2019 World Cup in Brazil. Specifically, we talk about the crime that is being committed by playing Kobe Hernandez Foster at center back instead of his natural position as a left back. We also talk about why we shouldn't abandon possession soccer and building out of the back, even if media members are suggesting otherwise. And we spend a decent chunk of time talking about Gio Reyna making the biggest mistake of the game that could have put a nail in the coffin. It was 10 minutes in, could have made it 2-0, instead it stayed 1-0, and ultimately USU-17's lost 4-1. We plan on releasing more episodes like this in the future, but of course, we would love if you provided your opinions as well, so be sure to hit us up in the comment section on 343coaching.com, or you can find us on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is at that Croatian guy, and if you want to reach Joey, it is at Casio underscore FG, and Casio is spelled C-A-S-C-I-O underscore FG. That is to reach Joey. So let us know your thoughts about the games, and we'll be sure to tackle any important or interesting topics that come up in either the comment section or on social media. Other than that, you can always find educational content from 343 on our website. We have over 200 written articles, over 200 podcasts, a a free seven-week coaching course. And we also have our premium coaching course for ambitious coaches who want to learn to coach possession-based soccer. Once again, you can find all of that at 343coaching.com. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Joey Cassio. see where do we start <laughs> uh, uh, I, I guess uh, I'll start with I'll start with this um, I've been wanting for quite a while to start diving into covering like the national team and covering the youth national teams in a similar way that other people do it um, but obviously from our vantage point and um, and with uh with our tone and with our uh, with our yeah experience behind everything, I feel like that's that's very important, and I feel like that's different. Um, and and one of the reasons why I think it's uh, it's going to be different for for you and I to discuss specifically this this first U seventeen World Cup game um, is that yeah you you you've you've watched a lot of these players up close and personal and even worked with some of them at, at, at some point, or you've worked with the people that have worked with them. Um, and I feel like just that, that experience alone, um, it just, it, it, 
it's hard it's hard to explain I guess uh, what what I can say too is it's different than just watching games on TV, which a lot of the people that cover soccer in this country, that's all they do is they just watch a game on a TV or their computer and that's it. That's their experience. So it's completely different. Um, and, and so for quite a while, I've been wanting to to dive in and, and start covering this stuff because I feel like it's important for people to get just a different perspective and a different voice, a different view. And all right, we're going to do it. So we're here. We're doing it. Let's do it. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, so first, uh, the first U-17 World Cup game for USA, um, didn't go, didn't go great. It didn't, uh, it didn't go great at all. Uh, started off kind of on fire actually, uh, or yeah, just exciting start. Um, Busio gets a goal in, in the third minute and then pretty much all downhill after about the 10th minute. Um, and I, and I've seen some other people kind of, um, use that, that time stamp as, as where things started to go wrong. Um, and then from, from then on, it just, yeah, nothing, nothing really spectacular throughout the entire game. And then obviously ends in horrible fashion and ends four one. Uh, there's a lot that can be said about, about the game, about the coach, about the players, about the opponent. Um, but real quick, I guess let's, uh, maybe just start with your, uh, your thoughts or your reaction to, uh, to what you saw. Yeah, there, there, there's so much, but I'll say in general, yeah, the, the start was good. Uh, the opportunity to suffocate and just bury the opponent in the beginning of the game was there with the early goal. And I felt like eh, the, we had a little bit of the momentum to start the game, but we lacked a killer mentality to do that. I, I feel like as the game went on, uh, we started to get more and more soft, and the body language of the players, in my opinion, wasn't good. Uh, the, the commitment to execute, work for each other, it just it wasn't there um and going into the second half we saw it i mean the body language of the players was was poor there was a lot of casualness i mean that this is more of the mental aspect of the game but i thought that that had a big a big part to play the senegal players i think started to sense a little bit of weakness uh or you could say smelt blood in the water going into the second half and they had opportunities as they did in the second half and yeah, they, they took advantage of them and ultimately destroyed us. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about some of the, the key parts of, um, why things started to fall apart and ultimately why the, the result was what it was. But I think, uh, for me, just watching the mentality, the body language, the casualness of the players, uh, they, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. That's a, I'm actually super glad you brought up the the casualness and the body language of the players because this is something that I've noticed and, and it's been a trend for actually quite a while now with the youth national teams and even with the senior national team and not even with especially with the senior national team is it like there's this feeling of of like arrogance uh, amongst like the the players and so you know when a uh, when a teammate makes a bad pass 
the the body language of the player that was maybe supposed to receive it or um or even the player that, that made the bad pass and and the player that received it turns it over or something like that. Just the way that they, they react isn't um isn't conducive to uh you know the the help helping the team at all. And there's like this 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 little hint of arrogance where like they the way that they react, they walk after they make a mistake or they kind of like jog or they throw their hands up in the air or, or just something like that. But, you know, it, it, it'd be different if it was, you know, one player doing that. And, and I'll give you the example of like Cristiano Ronaldo at Real Madrid, right? You know, Cristiano Ronaldo, his teammates make a mistake and he throws his arms up in the air like, what the fuck are you guys doing, right? That's a, on a completely different level. But you have like six, seven, eight, nine guys doing that on on these youth national teams this like this attitude of you know that the, the you know their shit doesn't stink and i have never been able to figure out why that exists and i don't know if, if you agree with that no i do <clears throat> i mean obviously with the team itself and what's going on behind closed doors in the training sessions and with the coaching staff we don't know we don't know what that culture looks like but on a bigger picture the system of soccer in america i mean i'm i'm on the youth fields every day pretty much either for training or for games and there is a serious lack of of passion and uh intensity when these kids are working on a daily basis so uh, big picture it's it's a cultural problem that that stems from the the system here in america these kids don't have to fight every day they don't feel like they have to fight every day for their place uh or to to reach the levels that they want to reach and this lack of uh, pressure this lack of competition uh creates a soft mentality and yeah we we saw it in the game against senegal and you know we've seen it with the national team the senior national team as well I would say the the exception has been Tab's teams. They they don't seem to lack in this area for the most part. Uh, they look prepared. They look like they're willing to go out and fight. Uh, the concentration levels are good. Um, yeah. So, but overall, outside of Tab's teams, I think you know we can say that it stems mostly from the the entire soccer culture here in America, we are soft and that's fact. Oh, I don't, I don't disagree with that. Um, even, uh, it's funny now I'm, I'm kind of just keeping an eye on, on my Twitter feed because I posted, a like a series or a sequence of pictures of, uh, one of the moments from the game. We'll talk about that in just a second, but just the reaction by some, by some people to that is like, is soft and, and you know a player makes a a a terrible terrible decision uh that could have like you said suffocated the opponent and and you know sealed the like put put almost every nail in the coffin uh for the for the for the rest of the game right and the player makes the wrong decision and all of a sudden it's it stays one zero and keeps the door wide open but it's like i just post a little little something like that and the way that the people react is the fans and, and other you know coaches on twitter whatever this is so soft. Like, what the fuck? Like, what are you talking about? The player made a terrible decision. How? How? It's, it's black and white. It's a terrible you're decision. About G, you're talking about Gio Reyna, yeah? Yes, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, look it, it's 1-0. You've jumped on the opponent early. It's an opportunity to make it 2-0. And again, the the mental warfare part of the game. If you if you make it 2-0 in that moment, what it's what it what it does psychologically to the opponent makes it very difficult. And you have full momentum and you continue to have the opportunity. I'm talking about the U.S. They have the opportunity to go on and make it three, four, five in the first half through that momentum. And that's it. That's it. Game over. But yeah, so a moment like that carries massive weight. And we can sit here and say, oh, well, yeah, if it went in the goal, then, you know, we're, we're not having this conversation. It didn't. And the likelihood of him scoring from the angle that he was at, as opposed to scoring the ball across the, the box to the player running into the back post, the chances of, yeah, the, the square ball being tapped into the goal are much higher than him taking the shot that he did with the angle that he had. It's just, it's a, it's a simple decision-making, uh, the simple decision-making part of the game. It's, your chances of scoring the second goal are much higher when you square the ball across to the to the player on the back post. And when you, and when you talk about mentality too, uh, if you watch that play, which was uh, I think like in the tenth minute, eleventh uh, minute, somewhere around there, um, yeah, the way that the way that Pepe reacts to that, the guy deflated after. And 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 I wrote down later in, in my notes that he was a zero, a complete zero for the rest of the first half. And it probably had a lot to do with that moment right there. Like that, if he scores that goal, his confidence probably goes through the fucking roof. But instead, no problem. You know, Giorino wants to you know keep the ball, take the shot, ball ball gets saved, easy easy save for the goalkeeper. And Pepe's like, okay, what am I even doing on the field now if this guy doesn't want to play me the ball? You know, if I do if I if I do all that hard work, I bust my ass, I get into the spot where I can you know put a nail in the coffin, and the guy doesn't even play me the ball. Eh, okay. You know, his, his he ends up he ends up running like into the goal with no defender near him. The goal the goalkeeper would have been on the near post. And the, there's a picture, you, there's a still frame that I took of him just standing on the line. It would have been him and the net. That would have been it. And and instead he's standing there with his arms up in the air, like what what else do I what else do I have to do? What can I do? It's embarrassing. It it was the best decision for the team to play that ball across the box. To, to Pepe, and you know, after if if they score that goal, they go off, they celebrate, they've come together as a team, they feel massive trust, you know, throughout the group. It, it I don't think people understand the the huge effects that that one moment has on that game. It's huge, it's huge psychologically. Uh, the score, obviously, uh, it I. I can't even put it into words, but it's a massive moment in the game. Oh, it's it's absolutely humongous. And then you watch like the next like three, four, five interactions with Pepe, and he turns the ball over, or he doesn't get the ball played to him again. He he actually goes long stretches without being involved at all whatsoever. And you could see that his frustration was growing, and it all kind of stemmed from that one moment, though. So yeah, it, that that is a very big turning point not only because of the scoreline but just you know involving you know just that one player too humongous yeah i have a lot of notes um in in addition to that one humongous moment 
there were also it, it, there was also just very very long stretches where nothing uh, nothing happened on either wing, and that was a, a huge note that I had down. I think it wasn't until like the twelfth minute that somebody, uh, some, sorry, besides uh, besides Scally's ball to Busio, which happened that happened from the right side. Um, I think it was the twelfth minute was the first time there was anything that happened on the left side of the field, like at all. Um, it was the first time that, that the outside back had gotten forward. Uh, nothing, nothing ultimately came from it, and then nothing, nothing else happened on that side of the field again for for a long, long, long period of time. Um, and it handicaps it, it handicaps the team if you're not going to be using, if you're not going to be utilizing both sides of the field. Um, I'm wondering if you noticed anything specific about you know the wide play or wing play or or outside backs. Yeah, I think Griffin Yao was a was a zero for me. Um, for me, he's completely mediocre. He does nothing for me. I don't. He's not dangerous at all. Like I, I think his decision making is poor. His one v one ability is poor. Um, it. I don't understand how he's even in in the team. But you know, uh, the coaching staff has to make those decisions. Uh, on the other side, Giorena. Eh, I mean, people are people are excited about him at at this point in time. I think he also is average. Maybe just maybe Borussia Dortmund can help him and Im- improve him as they did with uh, Pulisic. But yeah, I, I thought nothing really came from him, him either. Uh, the outside backs, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, Scali crossed the ball for Busio in the beginning of the game. After that, uh, I wasn't impressed with his projections forward. Uh, same from the other side. I, I didn't think that there was much there from the left-back armor. Uh, it's, it's a massive concern going into the next two games. Uh, the play going down the width of the field on both sides. I, I have no idea how we're going to create chances. And this leads into uh, me. I'll share. It, it is outrageous to me that Kobe Hernandez Foster is playing center back. Uh, he, he has tons of quality uh, as a left back. And in, in, in my opinion, he's the best left back prospect in the country. He has top-level potential, Champions League-level potential. Um, and, you know, his qualities are just being wasted at centre-back. With the lack of chances being created uh, in that first game, uh, you you have a clear-cut solution. And one of those is Kobe. Kobe playing left-back, going forward. Uh, his ability to beat players 1v1 on the dribble, his abilities to playmake, uh, it it's you have a solution right there in the team. Uh, it's criminal what they're what they're doing to him, making him play center back. I mean, um, I know Gary has shared on Twitter what is the purpose of the national team. Uh, for me, both individually for Kobe, it's the best thing to put him at left back, and I think it's also the best thing for the team. I mean, Kobe is not a central defender. Yeah, maybe he can help you build out of the back with success, but uh, the rest of the player selection in the team, uh, it it doesn't say to me that they want to successfully build out of the back. So, I mean, you're going to have to score goals. Uh, In my opinion, you're going to give up chances on goal 
with this player selection, you're going to have to create chances, many chances. And to do that, I think Kobe has to play at left back. Um, because yeah, the, the player selection in the, in the first game for the wide areas, is, it's just not going to cut it in my opinion. Uh, another another thing I'll bring up regarding the the player selection and the fact that yeah, and in the first game and even against Brazil, we we didn't really see uh, a lot of danger coming from the wide areas. Um, and and I'll share this, John. I've I've seen Kobe for many years now. I've I watched them all throughout the. Uh, the DA playoffs from the group stage to the semifinal. Another player that I that I think is an excellent talent is Johnny Perez. Uh, he plays right wing at, at the Galaxy. I don't think people know how good he is. Uh, in my opinion, when I watched him during the DA playoffs this, this past season, he was by far the best winger uh, in the U17 age group. He is clearly better than in my opinion any of the any of the players in the current u17 world cup squad his 1v1 ability his playmaking ability his his left foot is is exceptional uh his ability to finish off plays uh and i i don't i don't think he was even considered for uh this group to be involved in the world cup which is which is too bad because he could be another potential solution for the lack of chances that uh, that are being created and for for people that are unaware of of who johnny perez is um like you mentioned la la galaxy prospect um but also not considered like you mentioned uh, not considered for the u.s youth national team not even in the picture for this u17 world cup and has subsequently um, been invited to play for and has and has accepted the the invitation to go play for Mexico um, at the at the younger levels. I think he's playing with the U15s or U16s. Uh, so it's like okay, you know, if you're if these players are sitting here under under your nose and and you're not calling them, somebody else is going to. Uh, there's precedent there. Uh, Efra is at the World Cup, but with Mexico, um, and, and you know Jonathan Gonzalez is another one. Uh, Serginho Dest being you know a dual national, he ultimately t- chose to play with the U.S. men's national team. Um, but you know that's just, that's just an example of of what's going on and, and how U.S. soccer is treating or choosing to treat certain players, um, and it tends to be more with the. Uh, with the Hispanic players or the or the uh, the Mexican dual nationals that are having a little bit of a, of a more difficult time with U.S. soccer right now, John and I, I want to make something clear as well. Uh, I you know obviously Gary has talked about Kobe. He's talked about Johnny. Uh, I want to make it clear that what I'm sharing about those two players is one thousand percent my view, my opinion, based on many years of viewing these players within training and following them during the DA playoffs and seeing how they stack up uh, against the rest of the age group. So people can say that I'm regurgitating what Gary's saying, but that's just not true. I have uh, seen these players for a long time and watched them for years. So it is 1000% my opinion. I just wanted to make that clear. No, no, that's, it's good to make clear. 
Um, but I mean, Gary, Gary's also said for, you know, how, how long that Alex was the best 2000 in the country. Uli was the best 2001 and Ephra was the best 2002. And people ultimately, you know, get to see that on display, um, with Uli doing what he's doing now at Wolfsburg, Alex doing what he's doing at Ajax, um, Ephra signing his contract and, and making the first team with Galaxy. You know, so those those things, I mean, yeah, people can can say, oh, yeah, it's just your opinion. But no, other people are starting to see it now, too. You know, Wolfsburg, Ajax, Galaxy, Mexico. You know, it's it, it, it's not – these aren't just, you know, opinions that we're pulling out of our ass. So I'll, I'll share one more player that I think was left out of the team that could be uh, – that would have been a good addition for the lack of chances created. And that's Mauricio Cuevas mm. also at galaxy yep. right back. Yep. Um, his projections forward, very good. I I've also seen him uh, for a few years in training, playing against the rest of the age group. And, and yeah, he, he could be a good player to have in this squad for just the mere fact that, Hey, in the first game and also the friendly against Brazil, the, the chances created were at a minimum. And these these three players, Kobe at left back, Johnny Perez at, at one of the wing positions, I think he's better on the right wing. And then Cuevas at right back would give you so much more danger uh, in the opponent's, uh, in front of the opponent's goal and create a lot more chances for the team. Because I just, I just see that every opponent that they're going to face Japan, Netherlands going forward, we're going to give up chances. We're probably going to concede goals. You have to be able to score goals. I want to I want to highlight what you just said, and maybe we can we can get into some specifics right now. You you've mentioned now the the word projections twice, and this is interesting to me because Gary and I just started recording a bunch of stuff about um, the language of American soccer and, and how. Um, the way that we kind of talk about the game is much different than the way that everybody else talks about the game. So you've used this word projections twice. And so projections, meaning the outside backs getting forward, projecting forward, right? So if you watch the, if you watch this U 17 game, us outside backs pretty much just stand still, uh, and in possession, you know, no problem keeping possession, moving the ball from, from one side of the field to the other outside back to center back to center back to outside back, and then back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But the two outside backs stay in the same exact spots the entire, the, the entire time at or near midfield, nobody going forward. Uh, right. no, no, no chance of, or no, no, even a hint at a combination play or overlapping runs or, um, you know, dribbling, dribbling at uh, a defender and then maybe playing a penetrating ball or even just, you know, having the balls to take a, to take a defender on one V one, none of that, just, just, you know, outside backs planted there. Um, and yeah, it helps bump the possession numbers up, but ultimately it, it doesn't do anything for, for the game. Um, so not having players, uh, capable of doing that, uh, you know, projecting forward or having the ability to take a player on one V one, having the confidence to take a player on one V one is, you know, a massive putting us at a massive disadvantage. Um, I made, I made a couple notes about Kobe in the first half as a center back. And you would never, you, you would never really want this out of a center back. Kobe twice did like a shake and bake move as a center back to get the to get the opponents off of him and you know keeps possession and plays the ball forward imagine what he does if he has if he has the freedom to do that on the outside 
Like if, if he can dribble at somebody or, uh, you know, get, get, actually get around a winger and, and be in front of the, and be in front of the, the winger and, and going into the box with that type of skill. We're missing that because we're, we're keeping him pinned at center back. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, it's so- weird, John. It, it's weird, man. It, it seems like this whole possession thing has, it, it's become so trendy that, uh, within the national teams, we feel a need like, okay, well, we, we have to play possession soccer and we don't, we don't know how to do it. You know, we don't, we don't select the player pool to, to, uh, reflect the, the effective way of playing possession soccer, uh, the performances on the field, the, on the field, the identity on the field. Yeah. You're passing the ball around, but you know, you have to, yeah, like you said, you, your outside backs have to be able to get forward. They have to understand the timing of how to do it, watching the play develop, uh, everybody understanding that, hey, we have to make the right decisions to keep the rhythm going forward, which will allow our outside backs to get around. Because uh, if we if they're trying to get up and we lose the ball, then we are in big trouble. It seems like the national team and and now the U17s it's like hey guys we're just going to try to play possession let's let's see how it goes like oh we we maybe we don't have we, we may not have the players to be able to do it you know at a high level but hey we'll we'll give it a try it's it's crazy it's crazy the decisions from the staff uh in terms of player pool and and the effectiveness of how it's being implemented on the field yeah uh, yeah, we're trying to play possession soccer, but it's not there. So it says to me that the people making the decisions, they don't know how to af- effectively implement this way of playing. It takes a very deep understanding. It, take, it takes a deep commitment to be able to play it in the correct way, to be able to create chances and to minimize the chances of the opponent. And it's just, it's almost like we're just, all right, guys, we're just, we're just going to give this a try because we know everyone's talking about it. Don't get me wrong. I think we should be going in that direction, but the decisions of, okay, who, who's going to be in the coaching staff to be able to implement this way of playing. And then we have to be selecting the, the correct players to be able to do this effectively. That part is not there yet. Yes. The, the, I, I'll go further. The media have been saying recently, like, oh, you know, okay, we, we've tried this possession thing, but it's not working. Let's abandon it. No. We have to understand what it's going to take to effectively play this way. You need the people who have a deep understanding and have proved that they can implement this way of playing. And then we have to be selecting the correct players to be able to do so. I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned that too, because it, even with the media guys, it seems like they're all over the place. If uh, if you're looking at the senior national team, they're all about like Berhalter's style. Like, oh my God, this guy, you know, he's teaching the guys how to play out of the back, and then you get Stu Holden on the TV, and he's he's showing you with the you know with the tactical board what the plan is for for Greg Berhalter's team, and then and then you get a team like the you know the U17s the other day they had like 65% possession and people are all up in arms because uh we should we shouldn't be playing like this we should be playing like blue collar style soccer blah 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 and even the the in-game commentator so Marisa Du uh the way that he he described the way that the US national team was playing and it was like right after Busio's goal, I think. So probably like in the fifth or sixth minute, he described it as, you know, U.S. style wants, they want to get it in early. They want to get the ball wide. They want to commit numbers forward. 
Like that's the way that, that Marisa do was, was talking about the U S national team style of play. And the, those are just words The U S wasn't doing that. Like, like there were, there was no, there was no, uh, yeah. Evidence that that's exactly what they wanted to do. That those are just words. He's just talking shit. And, and yeah, so the media guys to me are, I don't know, frustrating to say the least. They they blow things out of proportion. They 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 do not have the ability to see the big picture. They take a positive moment and blow it out of proportion. Uh, they yeah they they see that the the national team the senior national team have been failing at uh, playing possession soccer and they're their thinking is oh let's abandon it they they don't have the ability to provide any sort of possible solutions to the problem uh and they just okay hey let's go back to good old winning 50 50 balls and working hard guys that's the american way they yeah they they can't view it as a process they can't view like okay this is where we want to go if we want to get there this is what we need to do it's just constantly changing with the wind and it's funny you mentioned that too, because uh, another media member—I'm just going to say it—Matt Matt Doyle, um, you know, tweets out something like Tavon Gray was the best player uh, on, on on the on the U17 national team. But you know, to his defense, you know, to Matt Doyle's defense, he thinks that that fifty-fifty style of of soccer, or that that physical or that workhorse type of soccer, probably is is good. And, you know, you look at a player like Tavon Gray, you know, he takes a bad touch. It bounces five yards off of his foot. And then he hustles really hard and he goes and slides and wins a tackle. And, and it looks like a good defensive effort. And so, you know, people think they see it or people see that and they're like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's a good player. Like, no, no. Did you see how far away uh, the ball bounced off of his foot for his first touch? No, that's a terrible player. And his, I mean, not to mention his decision making or anything like that, but you know, somebody like Matt Doyle sees things like that and and thinks that that's a good player. And I, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I believe Doyle said something similar about Kata during the U20 World Cup. And Kata is a very similar style of player to to Tavon Gray, or or, or played a very similar style to um, uh, to Gray as a center back in in that first U17 game, where he was just you know constantly you know, a, a physical presence, always working, maybe, maybe working hard. That doesn't make you a good player. That, that That's, that's not what we need. That's not going to, that's, that's not the solution. This is certainly not the best player on the field. When someone lacks a vision of the game, they, they go to those, those elements, right? The athleticism, the winning 50, 50 balls, uh, that sort of thing because they can't see any deeper than that. And my goodness, if you are getting your soccer education from a source like that, uh, it's a massive problem. It's a massive problem. And talking about Gray, I mean, for me, he was probably the most casual player on the field. I remember multiple times, you know, him and Kobe passing the ball between the two of them. Uh, he played Kobe, you know, there's no pressure or anything, but some of the worst passes I've ever seen from at that level, like Kobe square to him and gray just casually plays a slow rolling ball, like 
a yard or two behind Kobe. So now he has to face his own goal, run back a little bit, collect a pass, like so casual. So for me, I could kind of see the the buildup to the moment where he got the red card, which for me was just a lack of concentration, being way, being far too casual. And yeah, he made a mistake. He made an, a mistake that is unacceptable at that level. And he got the red card. And I think that was the moment where it was just, that was it. The team was completely deflated. Uh, it was over. But but yeah, for him to say that that player was the best on the field, that is that is completely insane. <laughs> I know. Some of this stuff just makes you, you have to laugh. It's, 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 it's incredible how, how these people think sometimes. Um, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think about, you know, what, what are some of the things that can be improved with this U17 group? Or what are some of the things that you think are maybe going to be the biggest problems um, for this group, you know, the next two games in, in the, in the group stage? Man, I, <laughs> I think, I think for one, Kobe has to play left back. He has to play left back so that you can get him up the field, creating chances, you know, his service into the box is very good. You know, he can beat defenders one V one, but, I'll be honest. I mean, my outlook in the next two games is isn't isn't very good. I watched Japan versus Netherlands, um, and how we stack up to them. I think I think we're in big trouble. Obviously, anything can happen in a single game uh, or in those two games. But based on what I've seen so far, yeah, I, I think I think we're in trouble. One of the one of the things that I've noticed, and this has been a trend at the senior level as well, um, but also the the youth national team levels, is we tend to be able to keep possession of the ball, evidenced by whatever it was sixty five percent possession, right? Um, but we never have possession, or we never have the the uh, confidence, I guess, or the patience to keep possession of the ball in the attacking third. It's always in our defensive half. It's always, you know, near midfield. It's always in like these, you know, safe zones kind of, um, mm-hmm. but, but never the patience or never the the ability to keep it in the final third. Um, you, have you ever noticed, have you noticed that? Yeah, I think we, part of that is what we've, we've sort of discussed with the outside backs is they, they have to get forward and provide more numbers in that area of the field for us to keep the ball in that area. You know, I, from from the last two games, Brazil and then Senegal, you the the wingers get the ball and you're relying on them to make magic happen. You know, and their decision making isn't the best. They lose the ball at the wrong time, so it doesn't allow anyone to get forward and and to create numerical advantages in the opponent's half to be able to keep the ball in that area of the field. You know what I mean? No, I know what you mean. Yeah. And another note that I had written down was, um, and I actually I wrote down no no attacking move like or no no attacking moves or presence from the attacking mids. But then I changed it to, to very few because there there were uh, you know a few like Busio's ball to to Reina on that on that missed opportunity in the tenth minute. That was probably the best pass of the entire game from Busio. Uh, maybe the best pass of the entire game from any 
any U.S. player. Um, he had the ball maybe, I don't know, 35, 40 yards from goal. And he, and he plays in between the outside back and the center back. And that, that to me, was the only only time I even noticed uh, a similar pass or, or, or a pass like that, um, which tells me uh, maybe two things, right? Uh, when we're playing the wingers, when, when we have possession and we're playing the wingers, we're still playing around the defensive line, meaning that we're not playing the, the wingers, you know, the, the wingers are making runs in behind the, the defensive line. So they're just, they're positioned out wide. Right. Um, and that tells me also that the attacking, uh, what was I going to say? Attacking mids shit. I lost my train of thought, whatever, not important. Um, but yeah, the the attacking mids are are not part of like attacking moves. They're 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 not they're not starting any attacks. They're not doing anything at all, really. They're just yeah. They're I, just moving I, the ball from side to side. I don't think. I mean, I I kind of like Danny Leva. Of you know, he's he doesn't lose the ball as often as some of, as some of the others. Um, but yeah, you don't you don't see a lot of playmaking qualities in the attacking mids. Uh, a lot of deception, which I think attacking mids have to have. Another way to create numerical advantages in and around the, the opponent's back line is attacking mids running beyond the the back line, yep. making runs in behind the back line. If your outside backs are not up the field to do it, then the attacking mids can do that. Um, but, but we lack that. Yeah, there's just a lot of just static passing the ball around, not a lot of movement off the ball or in behind the back line. And it's going to make it very difficult to create chances that way. And that that's why I named the players that I did because they provide that they provide uh, the, the understanding of how to make those runs uh, in terms of timing. Uh, and then once they get into those areas of the field where they're in behind their playmaking abilities are very good. But yeah, the the players that are currently in the in the team, yeah, I mean, may, maybe once or twice they they can create that sort of chance. But consistently doing it throughout the game, I just I don't see it. Um, and I'm I'm very glad you 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 pointed that out too because it's you know if it's happening you know once a game or twice a game, that's not good enough. That's that's not good enough. And and. You know, to me, again, that 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 play in the tenth minute where Busio plays the right ball to to Reina. Reina made the right run. Um, the the decision he made to to not square to to the center forward, terrible decision, right? But there were that was really the only play like that the entire game. Like there there was nothing else that stood out like that the the the, the rest of the game. So, you know, if we're going to create one chance like that every single game, how the fuck are we going to win anything? Right. Yeah. In, instead of possession stats, I think people, I mean, obviously, if, if that's how we want to play, that's great. Possession is a tool to control the game. But for me, if we're evaluating a game overall, it's how many chances have we created as opposed to how many chances have we conceded to the, to the opponent? I think that's a better way to evaluate an overall performance. No, and and also, you know, uh, how, how are we using our possession to set up something like that? 
Like, how are we how are we stringing together five, six, seven passes and moving players around to get into these positions where then we can we can you know be a threat? You know, where we can put somebody running through their back line, or we can put a ball that goes through their back line, or we can uh, put a pos- uh, a player in a position where they can take a player on one one versus one by using our possession, not just by moving the ball back and forth across the field. Um, another another note that I wrote down too is. I underlined it and wrote it in, in, in capital letters is that there was like all kinds of like mindless rotations, um, from, from our players, like players just moving in and out of different areas uh, of the field. But, but really I, I didn't understand why certain players were ending up where they were. And then when they got to a place where, Hey, like, you know, um, Giorena has the ball in an, in, a, in an attacking position and, and he has the ability to, uh, to turn and, and maybe take like three, four, five yards of space, he would just play a one-touch pass backwards, uh, or play a play a safe pass square. It's like, okay, well, what the fuck is the point of all these rotations then and moving all these players around if we're not going to use it? It's really frustrating. Yeah, it, watching that game and even in the Brazil friendly as well, uh, I don't see any sort of well orchestrated team moves, uh, which is. Maybe a question for the coaching staff. You know, I know going into this, uh, the U.S. soccer mainstream media has been hyping up Wiki as uh, a great coach. Based on what, I'm not sure. You know, maybe they've, they've looked at his resume and they've seen that he's maybe coached for some quote-unquote impressive clubs uh, in Europe how many of those media members have actually studied his work? I don't know, probably none, if I'm being honest. But yeah, there's no well-orchestrated movements within the team. It just, it seems very, uh, like there's no connection. It's, it's, the timing is all wrong. Uh, Casual. Yeah, there's casualness, there's, uh, there's a lack of, of understanding as to what each player's job is. I mean, it just looks disjointed as they're moving the ball around in possession. And for me, that, that, that's the responsibility of the coaching staff. <sighs> I'm getting worked up. <laughs> um, I, I actually had, had um, wrote down a comment that Keith Costigan made about Senegal. Uh, and, and something that he, you know, didn't even have a chance to say about American players, but he, he made a comment about this, uh, the Senegal outside back causing problems by getting forward so much and being so dangerous. Again, we don't, we didn't have the, that from, from the American players. So uh, Keith uh, pointing out that, you know, Senegal was doing that to us with minimal possession um, is a problem. So that was another thing I wanted to, to highlight. Senegal grew into the game. I thought they got better and better as the game went on, like we talked about for uh, in the beginning. A, a lot of it, the mentality part, I thought Senegal was strong. You know, they went down 1-0, but they they remained calm. Uh, they continued to work. They, they, yeah, in the second half, they, they seemed to drop a little bit deeper, almost like, all right, hey, go ahead, pass the ball around. We don't care. We're not really threatened by uh, 
your possession. We'll just wait for you to ultimately turn it over and then and a complete avalanche down the field and we'll try to counterattack. That seemed to be the the strategy. But Joe, Joey, they, they weren't they weren't stupid with the ball though. They they you know they connected passes as well. They they connected fewer passes because it took them fewer passes to get to goal and take as many shots as they did. But you know, consistently connecting three, four, five, six passes and and quick combinations and and then launching players forward and then four or five six players going forward like they were smart when they had the ball and and fast and and um you know they they created the opportunities that they wanted to create they got a lot out of out, out of their their time with the ball which i thought was super impressive 100% i agree they executed well yeah um man Anything else we can talk about with our our first uh, our, our first go at uh, covering the national teams? Uh, no, I, I I I'll be honest. I'm excited to do this um, going forward. I think, like you said in the beginning, we don't. There seems to be sort of one outlook on everything U.S. soccer, and and hopefully. We can do this going forward more often and, and provide maybe a different a different viewpoint for everybody because I, I think it's important. No, I think it's important too and and, and obviously you know I, I, I've, I've said before I want people to be involved in the conversation. So if you guys have questions um, you know or reactions or, or if you disagree with anything that we that, that we say, um, please feel free to, to you know to tweet it to tweet at both of us. Um, Tell us how you feel. Tell us what you maybe want to hear more of um, or less of. Uh, I feel I feel like that's important. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm 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 excited to to talk more about this type of stuff because I do feel like we we need it. We need we need more conversation about especially the youth national teams, the selection process, the style of play, those types of things, and and I think people want more of it. So. I hope that we can do it justice, man. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. If you are interested in accelerating your development as a coach and learning more about possession-based soccer, you can visit 343coaching.com and sign up for our premium coaching membership program. That is where you will get access to video, audio, and ebook lessons that will help you reduce your trial and error time by showing you the methods that have been proven to work in the American soccer environment. So once again, if you are an ambitious coach and you want to start learning the tried and true methods that have already been proven to work in the American soccer environment, you can visit 343coaching.com to learn more about our coaching programs. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we will catch you next time.